Hello, this is episode 294 of the Purple Psychology Podcast. I'm Nisha Reddy. So this episode is on trust and speech, specifically in relation to that kind of teen group that stretches out to 24. So I'm still not ready to talk about violence and women processing that in my mind. And I don't really have any notes for this podcast, so let's see how that goes. There are always themes in my work, and there are two distinct patterns at the moment. One is I'm working with a lot of teens who've been subjected to really severe bullying incidents and they've dropped out of school as a result. And it's interesting because I find that when I'm talking to them even after all this time and sort of, not, not in any great detail, but just as a sort of an anchor point of, you know, I've been through this and come out the other side, I even find my own throat still constricting after all this time and all that I have done and all the places I've been. So it's extraordinary how it still lingers on in you. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that um, and some of the hooks and some of the changes I see maybe in society that seems to be making it worse. There's another theme as well which is quite interesting for me. It probably seemed a little bit bizarre to people, but I've never really attracted gay people to work with me of any age group. This has been quite quite striking for me in the last decade. And suddenly in the last few months that's really kind of changed. And it's it's changed in an interesting way because I've always been very comfortable with my sexuality and my friends know that I don't really associate with a lot of this the scene and pride and various aspects of it. I hate the word normal, but it's, it's, it's been very normalized for me in a way. And I've never made it into a thing. And as a result, I haven't really drawn people to me who just want to be very comfortable and open in the conversation. And suddenly in the last six months, that's really switched the gear, particularly in an Irish context. And both in terms of sexuality and the openness in that but also the openness in gender freedom and those often being interlinked in families. I'm really quite excited about this because it means that people are being drawn to the truth of it and the openness of it rather than the agenda of it. And that's, I think, a really striking theme. And to wrap back to the last podcast and when we talk about the time for change, It's quite some time since the referendum in Ireland, but yet we're only really getting used to wearing sort of a new identity and a new way of being and a new openness around topics. And so now we've got to start to do that in relation to how we see women as well. So I realise there's a third reason why I use Dr Martin Luther King Jr.'s March on Washington speech. And this was started by an English teacher on my team, where she realised that doing speech writing with teens was hugely significant and helpful, because it's very hard for teens to talk in the first person in terms of I, and to really express their opinions and their ideas, and that that is a massive jumping point and a massive hurdle. And in fact, many schools, ridiculously, when people start into the equivalent of high school here at the age of 12, ask people to write these really personal, detailed, 
first person essays on, you know, where do you see yourself in five years? I always laugh at this exercise because there's no kind of run into it. And they don't seem to realize actually just the, the point of putting I on the page is a big stumbling block. I, I took that, that speech idea and expanded it I, over the last few years, particularly in working with that kind of later bracket of teen up to that 24 and even up to, to sort of 30-year-olds and showing them the, the speech patterns between introverts and extroverts, particularly the people who want to be leaders or visionaries those speech patterns are completely different and it shows a great contradiction between introverts and extroverts and sometimes the very limited way that we see introverts and extroverts and I covered this in a podcast um, I think it was last year where I talked about the differences between INFJs and ENFJs so if you want to specifically look at those personalities, you can go back to that podcast because I, I sort of teased it out in detail. But what's always quite quirky about this is that introverts, when they speak, they particularly that sort of introvert, intuitive person, feeling component who want to represent others, they talk about everybody else. They don't talk about things in terms of I. But yet the Martin Luther King speech is a great example of talking about in the first person, I, I have a dream, I, do, I, I have a hope for this, I have a vision for this. It's just I, I, I. And, and there are many other people who are great speech makers who also do this. And so I, I send a contrast of two different sets of people for people to, to suddenly step into that and feel comfortable. The irony is, is that introverts are very internally driven. They're form their place in the world internally with their own benchmarks. They may look at all of the experiences outside of them and relate to them very much due to their own internal experience. But extroverts take their measure of themselves from the outside and kind of the sort of the sum of what's happening around them and where they stand in relation to that. And so it's, it's a contrast for an introvert to then suddenly speak about everything and appear to do it from the outside, whereas actually they're very grounded internally in where they're viewing that from, whereas an extrovert is talking and appearing to talk all about themselves and their experiences, but actually it's entirely measured from outside of themselves. They're looking at the situations outside of themselves. They're looking at the the reflection of where they fit in the world. And so if you listen to that speech, again, with that in mind, what, what you're hearing is the reflection of where everybody else is. You're not really hearing the I. It's just that they're spoken in the first person. And that takes a confidence to do. And a lot of teens struggle to step to speak. We have this idea that it's, almost egotistical to do that. But it's not. It's, it's a very natural way of being in the world in relation to your own truth. And so that brings me to the aspect of, of trust and speaking, because I've been, I've been really struck by this in, in a lot of the recent students that I've worked with. Their trust is being completely eroded by people. There's a complete disregard as well for 
the need for trust for people to speak to. And one of the aspects I find a little bit terrifying is the idea of cyberbullying. At least when I was bullied in school, I got to come home every evening and I, I was very fortunate in having you know, the, the closest thing to a perfect home. And so I could compartmentalize my worlds. And in a way, it's much more difficult when you don't have that, when you don't have that internal base. And, and I, I talk about this secureness, and I was talking about this with a friend only very recently, as they were describing their child dealing with in bullying incident in school and dealing with it very securely. And I was saying, yes, that, that's, that is a reflection of how they have developed at home and that sense of, of self and that sense of I can go out and face the world and, and deal with this head on. So it's, it is like we, we take that for granted. And in an ideal world, we would all have that. And the irony is, is that if we all grew up in that and all had a securities or got to the place where we resolved that in ourselves, then we wouldn't repeat the patterns. And then the outside world would be a lot more secure and we wouldn't play half of these games. Because the people who bully are always going through something themselves or following a generational pattern. And I always, and now with time, I, I suppose I have more compassion for that. And in a funny way, I still, I had compassion for it when I was in school. I could see that some of the people who bullied me were also being bullied as well in, in a different way. And, and again, that's a theme that I've seen in, in the, the, the students I've been working with recently so they don't manage to do that reflection on the people who are bullying them, but they also don't manage to do the reflection on feeling incredibly let down by friends who stand by and watch it. And I suppose I always judge those people very harshly too. I always judge the people who weren't capable of stepping up and stopping it. And I would always make a point in my life of doing that. I still make a point of doing that. I won't let something play out in front of me because of what I have felt myself. And so that's a, th a theme I'm seeing, that the trust has been broken by being fe feeling let down by people that you have trusted and that you did feel were friends. But they don't have the reflection to realize that those people are maybe just too fearful to step forward. They're too fearful to end up being the target instead, that they again don't have the secureness to do that, the secureness to face it. Another student of mine very recently, ironically, during an LGBTQT week in school, I can't read those letters right, but I think I've left one out. But during one of those awareness weeks in school, um, a story went around of them supposedly having asked somebody out, and they lacked the confidence to meet that. So ironically, the awareness week turned into a bullying incident. And I don't feel that this student is gay. I don't feel that he will have an issue later in life in being comfortable with gay people. But he lacks the confidence right now to meet that scenario being played out in school. And it was handled very badly. So there, there's, there's lots of ways that we break down trust at the moment. But what's always fascinated me about cyberbullying, and I've been putting a lot of thought into this, is that in a way I don't understand why people can't disconnect. Because if, if that had been me, I just wouldn't have been online. I wouldn't have had the, the accounts or the access back to me. I would have had my settings set up in such a way that posts didn't turn up unless I had mediated them, which I do with all of my social media accounts. 
I would have comments closed. I wouldn't need to create TikTok videos to fit in with my peers and to just go along with what's supposed to be done to, to be cool. I, I would have just stepped out of the arena in the same way as I did with many other things. And so the question I've had in my mind is, why does cyberbullying affect so much? Why can't people disconnect? Why can't they just shut down their accounts and walk away from it? And the pattern that I keep hearing from parents is I don't really know what happened. I don't really know what went on. I don't really know what was said. And so the hooks in this are based around trust. They're based in the fact that the people who are being bullied can't even trust their own families to expose the embarrassment or expose the incidents. And that's the difference between something being resolved. Because I had another student a few years ago who was being bullied on, on Instagram and the father was aware of it. And he just sent back a message to the, to the perpetrator and said, like, what are you at? Why are you doing this? And it stopped. But there was an openness of communication in that family for that, for someone else to step in and say, well, no, you just, you just send this back. You just stop this, you know. So there is a hook in the trust and in the exposing and in the telling of the stories. That's the theme that I see at the moment. The inability to be able to trust and actually talk about what's happening and to just extract those hooks and to take that fear away and to take the power away. And I shared a particularly harrowing story on my Facebook, which I'll put a link into, which was an 18-year-old who committed suicide in Ireland last year. And the real tragedy of it is that he had stepped outside of school and he had started his life, you know, his, his dream job as a car mechanic, an apprenticeship. In many ways, he should have been able to press reset. But those hooks were just too deep. And yet again, there was a big sense that while he was going through it, nobody knew what was happening. And it was a very small community that it happened in. And in a way, everybody had to know what was happening. But yet nobody spoke about it. So for me, that, that speech and that ability to be able to speak and to trust and to face that fear and that embarrassment and to lose even the constriction that I end up with in my own troth, you know, such a significant time later, even when I go to talk about what I went through in school with people. But those are the hooks that we have to focus on, not in many ways the incidents that are happening, because in most cases, when you, when you step back from them, they're quite insignificant, except in, in, I have to say that in this story that, that I'll put a link in, I, I really question how people could let the behaviour continue and not know about it in such a small community. But we have to expose those behaviours too. And we have to expose the fact that people have to be secure enough to stand up and say, stop, and to talk about what's happening around them.